Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, report were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to join me in 2 Corinthians. That sounds odd coming out of my mouth. Uh, not that 2 Corinthians is a bad book. It's just we have been in John uh, for so long that I'm used to saying to the gospel according to John. But we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's where we want to spend our time this morning. Um, and hopefully only this morning. Uh, there's, as you see, there's uh, nine points that we want to try to make our way through as we look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in its entirety. And one good news is there's only 18 verses. Uh, bad news is there's lots of truth therein. And that's not bad in the sense of uh, it's extremely helpful, but bad in the sense of we may not be able to finish today or I will keep you here too long. So uh, pray for me that I would be clear and concise uh, and be able to communicate the truth of the Word of God faithfully. As I communicate, we wrapped up uh, John, the Gospel Word in John, last week, and uh, going to just do a, a one-off if we can finish today. Uh, and then uh, if we finish, or when we finish, uh, if it's not today, but if we, if we do finish today, or whenever we finish, we were going to begin uh, the book of beginnings. And if you're familiar with what that means, that would be the book of Genesis. And so we've mapped that out where we were going to be headed and uh, look forward to preaching through the book of Genesis. It's been a minute since we've been in the Old Testament passage uh, here. I know that we have covered uh, numerous passages over my course of my time here, but not as of late have we been in the Old Testament. So we are looking forward to uh, spending some time in the New Testament or in the Old Testament as we are walking through uh, our time and have been with the New Testament. So we'll begin in the book of Genesis. So if you're wanting to get a head start, I encourage you to uh, get our ESV app, not our ESV app, a ESV app, um, or whatever translation that you you read, and uh, begin listening to that. And you can begin listening on your way to work, on your commute, on the way home, uh, as part of your family devotional, whenever you want to begin doing that. And you'll get a head start and just familiarizing yourselves with those 50 chapters of the book of Genesis. So we encourage you to begin looking there. But as we were mapping that out and walking through, we wanted to take just one week and speak pastorally to you. Not that we don't, hopefully, hope we are speaking pastorally to you all the time, but more maybe pertinent to our faith family. And uh, the encouragement is uh, to not lose heart. That would be the word that uh, Paul is encouraging uh, the church in Corinth uh, about himself, actually, that he and those who were with him, that they, we, as he uses their we, uh, do not lose heart. And so that's exactly where we want to be uh, this morning is to be able to provide encouragement of faithfulness, and that ultimately you begin to look around, not necessarily in the context of the body of Christ, but even outside the body of Christ. And here, clearly, in the context of the body of Christ, Paul is needing uh, to remain faithful in the spot, despite the fact that he is being accused of, of misrepresenting uh, apostleship, that he is not an apostle, that he um, uh, is utilizing his ministry for his own self uh, his self-worth, his own gain, his own benefit. And, uh, uh, and so uh, they say he's not uh, much to look at, that he does not speak well. 
uh, and that he is um, uh, not one that they should begin to listen to. And so false teachers have come into the church there in Corinth to create havoc. He communicates that his visit to them was one of pain. It was a painful visit to meet with them. And clearly we know from his first letter in 1 Corinthians that that was not the church that many would want to pastor. Uh, You begin to think about just a variety of things that were going on in the context of that particular church. You had incest, if you will, or at least a man sleeping with his uh, stepmother, uh, his his father's wife. And so you have a situation there that was open, known sin, that even the pagans weren't uh, involved in or wasn't common within the pagans, and yet this church is aware of it. And so he's calling for the church to expel that individual. There's lawsuits, and they're suing one another in the context of, of uh, the church. There's great divisions. They're not uh, within the context of the, of the body. There's uh, tons of confusion as it relates to marriage. Uh, and there's, uh, uh, in the context of the Lord's Supper, which we will be participating in tonight at our members' meeting, uh, they are worse off having gathered together for the Lord's Supper and then having not met at all, which would be a tragedy. And so ultimately, that's an, and a variety of other things that we won't go into. Uh, the church is out of order uh, as it relates to speaking in tongues and the spiritual gifts. And so it's a mess there at the church in Corinth. And yet, the Bible opens up by calling them saints. And so the reality here is that this church is one of believers, but one of believers who are needing tremendous amount of help. And so he's uh, writing to them that ultimately... and um, communicating them his own apostleship and why they would need to listen to him and pay attention to him and that they would ultimately then, in doing so, be able to submit to the will and word of God. And so in this, he's now writing in this second letter, and we pick up in chapter 4, verses 1 through 18, and it, we gave it the title, Do Not Lose Heart, because uh, that would be the encouragement that he is communicating. He's going to explain why they, he and they, says we, and why they do not lose heart and it'd be an encouragement to us that we too should not lose heart. And so the title is Do Not Lose Heart. And it's primarily because it's uh, in two particular verses, it's going to use that phrase. First, first in verse 1, it says, we do not lose heart. And then again in verse 16, so we do not lose heart. And so if you want to kind of know why that's the title, that's, we just pull it right out of the text, there you have it. And so this morning we want to look at nine reasons or nine ways that it would aid us in not losing heart. Now, before I read it, I want to just explain maybe a little bit of, of the Apostle Paul so you can hold yourself there in 2 Corinthians 4, but I want to, before we dive into the text, just to give you a little backdrop on the Apostle Paul and all that he has walked through and then to be able to ask the question, did uh, the Apostle Paul make it? Did he finish faithfully? And so uh, just some of the things that Paul endured as he's writing to the church in Corinth, he begins to talk to them about all that he's went through and navigated and about him as a servant of Christ. And in verse uh, chapter 12 of, of first, second Corinthians, second Corinthians 12, verse 23, he says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety from all the churches." 
Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Now, any one of those situations that have happened, any one of those that were listed probably would make most of us want to lose heart, would want to resign ourselves to discouragement, to distraction, uh, to fear, and ultimately that we would give up. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul navigated with. In 2 Timothy, one of the books, this is a book that he had written right before he passed away, and it's uh, Widely believed that ultimately in the letters to 1 Timothy and to 2 Timothy, he's encouraging Timothy to put the church in order. And then in 2 Timothy, to encourage Timothy not to give up himself. And that Paul was writing Timothy at one of the lowest parts of his own life and his own ministry while he's in prison, about to be beheaded. Uh, upon which is uh, widely believed is how that the Apostle Paul died, is that he was by beheading. And so ultimately he writes to Timothy, encouraging Timothy not to give up. And he says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 9, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through the message... Through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And when you just look at that as well, that in the context of his first defense, when there's opportunity for people to come to his aid and speak on his behalf, he says, all deserted me. When we think about that, and just put yourself in that situation, and he's cold. He wants his cloak. He's cold. He's not quite alone. He says he has here that Luke alone is with him. He's encouraging Timothy not to give up, and that Timothy to return to him, to bring Mark with him, to bring the parchment, to bring his books with him. Ultimately, all that you begin to think that he's already endured, and who has, all has departed him, those who have been sent out faithfully in ministry, who are carrying out the ministry, uh, and then those who, like Demas, who... Uh, who departs, who defects, uh, it was a des- deserter of him, uh, who was in love with this present world, the time that he had invested in Demas and loved Demas and cared for Demas, and then ultimately that he's got Alexander the carpersmith that's doing great harm to him and to the message. He's warning Timothy when he comes to be aware of Alexander the coppersmith, and he says, in all this, those who deserted him, may God not hold it against them, not lay it against their charge. As I just look at my own life, I I think, I don't think I would be faithful. I would want to be faithful. And I wouldn't, I would be faithful to the Lord in a personal level, but I think in a ministry level, I would just say, you know what? It's all right. I'll work faithfully and care for my family. And uh, this whole church thing just isn't really working like it should work. And that's not at all the attitude that the Apostle Paul has. In the midst of that, he's writing a letter of encouragement to Timothy. Encouraging Timothy Timothy not to give up and not to give in. 
And it's in that context, even in 2 Timothy chapter 4, just verses before that I think we need to hear and for us to know that's in the backdrop, the backdrop, the background for us to see that then when we turn our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 will help us to know not only is what he's teaching us accurate and true, but it is faithful to aid us to endure to the end because of what I'm about to read now. 2 Timothy chapter 4 in verse 6, I began a moment ago in verse 9. Listen to verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So what is, what is he saying? I'm about to be a sacrifice for the kingdom. And it's not going to be a big one. It's not going to be a bulls or goats where the flame would be much and it could be seen for miles. It's just going to be a drink offering and gone. Drink offering, the time of my departure has come. I, he knows it's about, it's about over for him. But listen to these words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Despite all that we are now, we'll continue to read about Demas and about all those who deserted him and he's alone except for Luke that's with him and that ultimately he wants um, uh, Timothy to remain in ministry and to, to come to him and bring Mark and all the other things that was going on despite the, the false prophets who have come against him, despite Alexander the Coppersmith who's done him great harm, despite deserters and defectors and dissenters, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And his eyes are solely fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, eternal life, and a crown of righteousness that awaits him. And not only him, but all who will endure to the end. And so I want to share that with you. First to see just a little bit of backdrop of what he's endured. And then all that endured, the counsel that he gives us today was the same counsel, was Second was written before uh, Second Timothy for sure, and that counsel that he gave, that he speaks that would encourage him not to lose heart, he encouraged those who were with him, the we in this, that not to lose heart, did in fact, by the power of the Holy Spirit, sustain him to where he could then pen those words. Even in a discouraging time for him, and a dark time for him, and a dangerous time for him, that ultimately he writes words and pens words of encouragement to Timothy to remain in ministry and to be steadfast in that, despite the fact his ministry was indeed over. And this is where we find ourselves this morning. What would it be? What would the things that Paul would say that would would be the things that keeps him in the ministry, that keeps him faithful? And then this, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're enduring, but I know it can be a temptation to give in, to give up, to calls you to do evil, can cause you to act sinfully, that can cause you to sinfully defect and to desert the ministry. Not in a sense of calling, but in a sense of the body of Christ. It's easy to say, well, I'm going to try this church, I'm going to try this church, and I'm going to try this church. And you're remotely attached to church life, but never really being a family with those who God's called you to be a faith family with. And it can be for these very things that 
People hold different doctrine than you. And people would speak evil of you. And there could be gossip and slander about you. Or things could, uh, and individuals could um, malign you. Ultimately, others that you invest in depart from you. And it can cause discouragement. And the intent behind this passage is to say, in the midst of that, even if others sinfully use you and persecute you, do not lose heart. Do not give in to discouragement. Do not give in to fear. And do not allow even other people's sin, if that's what's taking place, to allow you to, to sin or to encourage you or discourage you to sin yourself. Well, what is it that he then gives us as far as encouragement and instruction as it relates to why he would be able to endure and remain in ministry? Well, that's where we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's begin in verse 1. It says, Therefore... Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So that death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believed and so also we speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us. Help us to see these certainties, these convictions, these truths. That undergirded your servant. That by the power of the Holy Spirit. Empowered and enabled him. To remain steadfast in the midst of severe persecution. Extreme suffering. Much difficulty. And yet Lord he wasn't self-centered. Narcissistic. He didn't manipulate or persuade others to only see him, but Lord, he was faithful to you. 
He fought the good fight. He finished the race. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to learn these truths. That, Lord, we too would not lose heart. That we would not sin. We would not act in evil or badly. That we would not defect or desert. But, Father, we would press in all the more to love the body of Christ and to long for your appearing. We know we need the word of God, these convictions, and we know we need the spirit of God to enable and empower us as well. And so aid us, we ask in Jesus name. Amen. Well, there it is. Our passage that we're going to unpack is going to help hopefully encourage us to not lose heart. And so there's nine things that in the time that we have remaining, hopefully we will make it through. So let's begin to dive in. If you have a copy of the notes that were found in the bulletin, I encourage you to take those out. Considering the length of the notes that we're going to have or the length of the, the number of things that we're going to, to uh, look at, uh, you may need to write some of these down. They'll be on the screen behind me. And if you don't have a copy of the bulletin, you're more than welcome to make your way to the, uh, the foyer and grab one or just write in your Bible. And I would encourage you, encourage you, if you have a Bible to do so, you would do that. I know some do not like marking in their Bibles. And if so, I, I definitely understand it was my stance for some time. Uh, however, I believe that if you mark your Bible, it'll help the Bible to mark you. And so uh, I would encourage you to do so, that, that ultimately we'd be men and women who not only receive the word, but will be doers of the word and as a result of that, reproduce what we have received this morning. So I encourage you to do that. So we walk through this. Let's now unpack these. The convictions empowered by the Holy Spirit. I don't want us to not catch that. Ultimately, you can uh, see these things and you can understand these convictions in a general way. We need the aid of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what enables us, empowers us to understand the Word of God, to obey the Word of God, to love the Word of God, uh, to, uh, to lovingly uh, call others to obey the Word of God. And so ultimately, the convictions empowered by the Holy Spirit that will help you to not, not lose heart in ministry. And I wanted to make sure that we saw the role of the Holy Spirit there. It's not just, hey, learn a few things and then just uh, fake it till you make it. Or just hold on with your own uh, self-will as if we can just will ourselves to do these things. No, we need the Holy Spirit to help us. The Holy Spirit is what uh, enables us to be saved and what keeps us saved. Keeps us in the sanctifying, sanctification process. And it will eventually lead us to glorification as well. And so in that we need to see the role of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't want to make it man-centered the very moment that we were looking to do something. Yes, we will be making willful Choices, willful decisions in this and holding to these firm convictions. But as we see that he who began a good work in us will complete it the day of Christ Jesus. And so we know that God is at work in and through us to even help us to be faithful to these convictions. And so let's unpack these. The first conviction for us to see is the glory and the superiority of the new covenant in ministry. The glory and the superiority of the new covenant in ministry. And when I say that, you're like, well, yeah, it's pretty obvious. And so and we all buy that. We all get the new covenant and ministry. Yes and amen if you've always been in a church that faithfully proclaimed the gospel, that faithfully preached the word of God and preached the new covenant to you. But it's not all of us have that, that amazing testimony of being raised potentially in a Christian home, attending godly, God-fearing, uh, Bible-saturated uh, 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 Christ-centered churches that are going to preach the word of God to us. And so ultimately, there's many who come from a variety of, of uh, pagan backgrounds or even um, 
cults and other types of denominations that would not be preaching faithfully the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so ultimately we need to see this. And so exactly in this, you're going to see the Apostle Paul. That was his background, was it not? As you begin to know and understand the Apostle Paul, he's the one uh, that was all tied up into Judaism and ultimately was persecuting the, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, right? The persecuting his body, the, the, the church. And so Paul himself would be one of, uh, would very much be aware of the glory and superiority of the new covenant over the old. Listen to what he says in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. He tells the church there in Philippi, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So Look out for the dogs. Look out for Gentiles. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. That would be the circumcision, right? That would be the Jewish his Jewish uh, counterparts. For we are the circumcision. Now he's going to play on that. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And why is that important? Because this is exactly what he's saying. The superiority of the New Testament is it's not about us. It's not about what you do. It's not about the works that you perform. None of us can inherit eternal life. And so this is why I wanted to to make sure we caught this, that yes, there's a clear distinction from Judaism into Christianity and the transition from the Old Covenant, which isn't bad. I don't want you to hear the Old Covenant was bad. It just was, it was going to be obsolete. It was going to be moving us to a greater covenant, the New Covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ. You never want to hear us say the law is evil. The law isn't evil. It is good. But ultimately, none of us can keep the law. And so ultimately, in that way, it's, it's not sufficient for us to come to faith in Christ. Apart from Christ, we need the New Covenant. And so Paul knows that ultimately he was striving to live in his own righteousness as a Pharisee. And so ultimately he was looked that way. Well, this is what every other religion would encourage us to do. Every other religion besides Christianity is encouraging us to work hard. Work so hard in order that God may be pleased with you and that your sins could be Removed because of your own righteousness. And that's wrong. You will lose heart because we're unable to do so because that's not the way the Old Testament was given to us. The law of God was given to show us, to reveal to us as a mirror our sin so that we would cry out for the Messiah. We would cry out for our sins to be forgiven. Why the whole sacrificial system was instituted was so that we would realize that we are sinful and not that we couldn't get to God on our own. This is why Jesus was always uh, being asked the question throughout his gospel ministries. We even saw with the gospel of John, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus would always lead them, regardless if it was the metaphor of the Good Samaritan or, or ultimately just taking them to the law. He would begin to communicate to them, you must do this perfectly. Which anyone who's paying attention wouldn't say, yes, I'm the perfect Good Samaritan. No, he used their very enemy to show them that they wouldn't do those things and haven't been doing those things. And so ultimately they didn't keep the law of God and, and, and not keeping the law of God. There's no way they could be saved in their own righteousness. So the answer should have been, we can't do this. And yet, that's not what they understood. They were offended by the parable of the Good Samaritan. The rich young ruler walks away sad because he doesn't want to give up his riches. He doesn't want to submit and follow Christ, to deny himself and take up his cross and follow him. And so Paul, of all people, knows that 
I'm to put no confidence in my flesh. Verse 4 of Philippians 3. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If you're going to have confidence, if you think you can get there, I was really doing a pretty good job. Despite the fact it was never going to ma- I was never going to make it, I was at least probably ahead of you. I, of all, should have reason to boast or have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel... Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, not sinless, but blameless. But whatever I gain, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ and the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He says, I've I've suffered the loss of all things. The things I thought I had done, I count them as rubbish. For what purpose did I gain Christ? Be found in Him, not in my own righteousness that comes from the law, as if I can keep the law of God myself. And ultimately, the righteousness comes from God that depends on faith, so that I may know Christ, the power of His resurrections. And yes, how is He going to walk in difficulty? How is He going to make sure He doesn't lose heart by keeping the understanding of the glory and superiority of Christ, that I may also share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Even if it costs me my life, I want to remain faithful because this new covenant is glorious and superior. Now you say, well, that's awesome and all, but you typically like exposit, right? You kind of bring it out of the text that we're in, and I don't see that anywhere. It is, it's right there. Uh, verse 1, therefore, that's where it's all, all that's there. All that I just told you is in therefore. Well, why is therefore therefore? Well, therefore refers to what was just previously said, right? And all that is exactly what chapter 3 was about. Paul was communicating the superiority of the, of the new covenant, and they are ministers of that new covenant. If you have little titles or subtitles in, in your Bible... You see at the beginning of chapter 3, at least in ESV that I carry, it says ministers of the new covenant, right? And so he's going to communicate that ultimately that they're grateful and he's going to talk about, does he need to commend himself and speak about commendations and have letters of commendations to talk about who he is? And so ultimately he's going to talk about all this and he says, and ultimately it was God who thought they were sufficient to be in ministry, verse 6 of chapter 3, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, And then he's going to walk about the superiority and glory of this new covenant. I'll walk through it quickly. Verse 6. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Right? So we know that ultimately the letter of the law is what brings death. Right? It shows us that we can't keep the law. And as a result of not being able to keep it, it demonstrates to us our sinfulness. And when we sin, it causes death. Right? And so as a result of this, this is the difference between it. One brings death. And one gives life. It's brought even more clearly in verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, that would be the Ten Commandments, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, 
which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So there's the superiority and the glory of the new covenant. This was coming to an end, but the spirit of the ministry of the Spirit was not. So you've got spirit of death that kills, spirit of uh, the, 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 um, uh, the uh, ministry of the Spirit, or ministry of the letter that kills, ministry of the Spirit that gives life. Verse 9, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, there's glory in that. Why? Because it led them to the sacrificial system. Sacrificial system be a foreshadowing, a types of the Christ that was going to become. There'd be the final high priest. There'd be the final sacrifice. There'd be the, the, um, the lamb that was slain. And so all this was a picture of what was coming. So there was glory even in the ministry of condemnation. But then the ministry of the new covenant is a ministry of righteousness. And so if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Because why? There was no righteousness gained in the Old Testament. Because why? That was going to be found in Christ. Indeed, verse 10, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because the glory, of, the glory that surpasses it. So this is why you must, even the book of Hebrews says, listen, this is, this is becoming obsolete. You must move out of the temple and you must move into Christ because what used to be a means of demonstrating your faithfulness, that ultimately you, you were acknowledging trust in God, the God who put forth the sacrificial system, the God who gave us the principles and covenants, the God who, who communicated to us the laws and the commands. Ultimately, you were demonstrating faith by ultimately coming to God in that manner through the, the, uh, through the blood of bulls and goats. But now Christ has come. And that one is of no glory whatsoever. Christ is the glory. And so ultimately it was coming to an end. Verse 11. For what was being brought to an end came with glory. Much more will what is permanent have glory. So the Old Testament was not permanent. It was temporary. And the New Covenant was permanent. That's why it was much more superior. Much more glorious. Verse 12. Since we have such a hope. We are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Right. So what, what does that mean? We, he came and he had to, a veil over his face because they couldn't look at him with the, the light and the glory of God on his face. But what began to happen over time? He put the veil over so they could actually look at him. But then over time, he could remove the veil. Why? Talk to me. It faded. Metaphor, picture of this is, is not going to be a permanent establishment right this is going away and there's going to be a new covenant there's gonna be a better mediator a better high priest that would represent man to god and god to man it was going to be in the face of christ jesus who is whose light would never quit shining who will be the very image of light and the only light we need in the new heaven and the new earth as the book of revelation tells us and so ultimately here he's communicating that ultimately this was not permanent it was going to come to an end but their minds were hardened or to this day, Paul writing, in this day, to this day, uh, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. So what does this tell us? The New Covenant, the ministry of the New Covenant is Christ-centered. We need Christ, whereas the Old Testament wasn't, didn't reveal Christ. There, there would be a Christ, there would be a Messiah, there would be an anointed one, but we didn't know who he was and what he was to do. Clearly didn't see him as the suffering servant, even though it was clearly there in passages like Isaiah 53, but that's not what they were looking for. And we saw that again and again and again through the, the book of John, did we not? Even his disciples, even being told three times he was going to go to the cross and die, were trying to prevent that from happening. Verse 15, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lays, lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face 
beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And Paul then says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Why won't he lose heart? He understands the absolute rubbish of his own righteousness, trying to keep the law. Man-centered approach to trying to honor God. And he says, no, we, because God thought that we, God knew that we were fit in his estimation that he would give us a new ministry, the ministry of the new covenant. And if he felt it was sufficient to hand us this ministry, then we will remain in the ministry because why? We've been brought into this new covenant. And he was grateful for his sins to be forgiven and that he didn't have to rely on his own righteousness. And so the first conviction, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that will help, that help Paul and that will help us to not lose heart in ministry is for us to remember the glory and superiority of the new covenant in ministry. We are only in the kingdom because of Christ's work for us on the cross. And that you don't remain because of what you do. You remain because of who he is and what he has done. He has finished the work. And apart from that, we would all be in trouble, would we not? Because we cannot make payment for our sin. So that was the first conviction. second conviction is the ministry is a mercy of God. Ministry is a mercy of God. So exactly what it says here in verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry... By the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Having this ministry by the mercy of God. It's a mercy, is it not? Why? Because we just realized that we needed to be saved. Our own righteousness wasn't going to work. And so if God didn't grant mercy and grace to us, we would still be in our sin. And so when we look at others, we need to demonstrate mercy in ministry Because why? They're just as sinful as we are. Now, when we begin to put ourselves on our high horse and think that we're better than other people and that we wouldn't sin like they sin, we need to take a a quick look into the law of God and see how well we would do on our own. That doesn't negate the fact that people do sin and we need to call them uh, unto repentance and that we sin and we need to be called ourselves unto repentance. But the reality is that may be that you've been walking in faithfulness and, and humility and by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God through sanctification that you're having victory over sins. And and so in that, let's not look with disdain on those who don't have victory. That who may bite you in your attempts to serve them. Who may harm you in your attempts to be helpful to them. That's something I can be guilty of. And all the time I've invested in you, you're just a demas. You know what? You're dead to me. Wash my hands. It's over. It's the wrong attitude I have. Be careful of that attitude. I then may begin not, I would never say it audibly, but with my actions, I I might can communicate it. I don't think I need the mercy of God any longer, maybe. When you live that way, then, not just as a witness of the gospel, but now you're a judge and juror. Give the final verdict of the gospel. Who's worthy and not worthy to receive it? Receive what? The mercy and the grace of God. 
when you put yourself in a position not to receive mercy. So Paul's quick to understand. Yeah, I'm going to, if I must bring letters of commendation to you, if I must communicate to you that I'm trustworthy, if I must once again allow you to attack my character and, and having walked through an extremely painful visit with you, why you all just maligned and assassinated my character, I'll bring commendation to you about the new covenant, but I'll remind you it's a mercy of God. And it's because it's a mercy of God encourages him to remain steadfast in the context of ministry. And so we should be mindful of where God found us. Where God found you. Where did God find Paul? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. You'll have to turn there. It's just a couple of verses I'm going to look at. But 1 Timothy, you can write it down. Chapter 1 Timothy 1, 12 and 13. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service. That's pretty amazing, right? Yeah, but not because of who he is, because of God's mercy. You'll see that. Verse 13. Though formerly, though formerly, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason. That in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him. For eternal life to the king of the ages, immortal, even visible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And Paul just starts going into a doxology. Why? Because why would he save me? Only as an example. We don't like that term, do we? Oh, I will make you an example. Why? Because most time as an example, it's demonstrating that you probably got in trouble and they're going to use you as an example so that other people would learn from it. Well, that's exactly what Paul is communicating. That ultimately, he's going to use me as an example so that ultimately others could begin to know what? That Paul's really, really awesome. And if you could be really awesome like Paul, that God would use you too. If only God could save this person, man, look how much the gospel would just be set forth into the community. Have you ever heard people say that? Some celebrity, some powerful person, someone maybe that lives a really heinous life in a, in a, in a way that, the world socially would be able to know and experience, uh, at least from a distance, uh, this major conversion. Oh, man, the world would just be taken by storm if this person would come to faith in Christ. No, not how it works. Paul says, he's using an example not to see how awesome he is, but Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. If, they, if God could save me and use me, he could use anyone. Paul never got over that. Never the fact that ministry is a mercy of God. Let me drill this home just for a moment for you to be able to see it. We need to be reminded of that when we think about ministry. Ministry in the church to one another. It's a mercy. Serving one another. And listen, it's. If you've been in ministry any length of time and really try to attempt to love on people, we don't do that perfectly, right? We talked about that. Not a perfect love, not a perfect faith, but it's a real love. It's a real faith. 
It's messy. You might see me, you might see Pastor Tim, you see our families, and we look like we all have it together on Sunday morning, and it's everything's going great. And it, and by the grace of God, we really do have a lot of blessings from the Lord in, in so many ways. And I love my wife, and I love my children. They're good and gracious to me in spite of me. And so it's there are a lot of things are really promising, but we don't have it together. And there's a ministry that God's called you to, right, unto himself that's personal and yet and corporate. And so there's, there's times where you want maybe to lose heart. You lose an understanding of the glory and superiority of the new covenant that you need to be teaching, for example, your children, loving on your children when there's all the fanfare is gone. No one's looking at you. And you're thinking, man, I'm trying to be faithful to bring the new covenant to my children, share the gospel with them, so they see the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. And my, my, my wife and my children may, may learn to know and to, and to be encouraged and remain faithful and steadfast in the faith. And this is where you need to be reminded of it's a mercy. And when you love on those who are unlovely, you serve those who spitefully use you and persecute you. To be reminded that that is you. And that doesn't mean there's not a time where you dust your feet off and you leave. Meaning, not your family, but in the context of ministry to others. I mean, there's not a time where you, you quit casting pearls before swine. I'm saying there's not. You could use wisdom and discernment. But be able to encourage all of us to be faithful in the ministry roles God's given us, whether we're married and we have relationship to our spouses, we have children, we have relationship to our children, extended family with grandchildren, and so on and so forth, neighbors, co-workers, responsibilities. If Paul said, I'm a debtor to all men, Jew and to the Greek. So for us, it's ministry, the gospel, out in the community, and ministry, the gospel in the community, the community of faith, community of believers. Sometimes we get imbalanced in those and so we do too much activities with the body and, and not be faithful at home or we're doing too much in the home and we just circle the wagons and we're trying to protect our, our family from the messy work of ministry ministry is a mercy of god we need to be reminded of that and it's what helped paul empowered by the holy spirit to not lose heart in the context of ministry himself number three Conviction empowered by the Holy Spirit that will help you to not lose heart in ministry. Number three would be the necessity of purity in ministry. The necessity of purity in ministry. Verse two. We finally made it out of verse one. Congratulations. Verse two. He says, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We've renounced those. Shameful things that could be done. We've renounced shameful or disgraceful underhanded ways. Now, clearly, could relate to ministry particularly. So we're going to transition to that quickly in verse 2 as it then it begins to talk about how they would handle the Word of God. And I think it's, it's even with that, as Paul's going to communicate shortly thereafter, that ultimately you need to be able to have, he says, imitate me both in the things that I do and the things that I say. Right? And so ultimately in this, there's a reality that Paul's saying, listen, I'm not perfect. And we renounce the things that would be shameful or disgraceful. We're not going to operate by underhanded ways. So we're lives of purity and the necessity of purity in ministry. And it's reality for that, right? 
One of the things you can do is you begin to see others not walking faithfully, and so then you want to respond to a fool according to a fool's folly. But you need to respond to a fool lest he be wise in his own eyes. And so we, we need to be able to respond to foolish people, but we don't need to respond in like manner. And it's just an insidious way that sometimes when you begin to be discouraged and others may do things that would hurt you or to harm the ministry, as Alexander the Carper Smith did, that you want to, uh, to respond in like manner. Or you then sin yourself by, by sinfully defecting or deserting. I'm tired of being hurt. I'm going to self-protection. I'm going to protect me and my family, and we're going to, we're going to move into something a little easier. That's not the life of purity. It's disgraceful and shameful because our Lord did not do that for us. He didn't just up and quit when things got tough, did he? No greater love than this, the one to die for his brothers, the one to die for those whom he loves. And so there's a necessity that we're going to renounce it. And so as you begin to see this, it's not saying that Paul's perfect. He's the same one in Romans chapter 7 says, the things I do want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do those things. And so what's the balance in that? Well, he's saying ultimately there can be shameful things that I would want to do. There can be things that I would be, that could be disgraceful. And ultimately we're going to, we don't do those. We renounce them. And so though he's not sinless, he is, they are, he says plural here, we, they have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways, whether it just be uh, um, personal living or ministry living and ministry methods and behaviors. And so ultimately, there's a necessity of purity and ministry. Number four, you see the importance of preaching the word of God faithfully. Importance of preaching the word of God faithfully. So we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we, sh- we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Listen, we're not going to... We're not going to dink around and mess with the word of God. We're just going to teach it the way it's the way it's been given to us. Now, this will get you in trouble. This will get you in trouble. Just as Paul was telling Timothy, there's a time where people will itching ears will gather for themselves. Um, individuals who do not teach sound doctrine. Right. So it's exactly what he's charged in Timothy in that chapter that we in Second Timothy four to encourage Timothy to be faithful. 2 Timothy 4, 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, right? So he's charging him, he's commending to him what he should be doing. Same thing we do in, in marriages, or at least some pastors still provide charges, right? Before the giving of the bride, individuals will stand before me, and the, the, the father's walking the bride down, and so the mother's sitting here, and the bride's here, and the, the uh, groom's here, and then the father-in-law, the father is going to give the, the bride away, and before any of that had, takes place, most of the marriages I've been in, I've interacted with, which most of those are old school. We're going to give charges. And I charge uh, the wife in submission to her husband. I charge the husband to lead his wife as Christ would lead the church. And so I provide charges before there would be the giving and taking. And so ultimately, this is Paul charging Timothy, right, with what should be done in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Uh, and so... Ultimately, Christ is going to come back and his kingdom exists and he's going to judge every believer and unbeliever, including you, Timothy. So be faithful. So what does he tell him to do to be faithful? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 
Now, what does this mean? It means ultimately the word of God, share it faithfully and teach it because this will help people, will encourage people. It, it gives them what God expects of them and the encouragement that God will provide for them that they can claim the very promises of God, these great and precious promises. Verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work in evangelists, fulfill your ministry. And then he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering at the time my departure has come. This is that last chapter. Itching ears. Men and women there, that is, just look around the landscapes of many, many, not all, many, many churches. And many, many large churches. And that's not a slander at large churches. The very first church was a mega church. Pentecost, 3,000. I think that would be labeled as a mega church. I'm not, not slandering small or large. The point is, I was asked that question once by someone. And they were trying to figure out if I was just mad at churches or something. And I didn't even know where that was coming from. And they said, well, are you anti-mega church? I said, man, if I was, New Testament, first New Testament church, I'd be in trouble. I'd be in trouble for calling them not a church. So, no. Acts 2, pretty good indication there was a megachurch, right? So, major ministry, explosion by the power of the Holy Spirit. And definitely not saying that's not of God. And so, the reality here is that many, many times, though, we've taken exactly what's happened. We practice cunning. What's going to work? What works? I remember times in my ministry... Early, early on, where I spent a lot more time coming up with games and a lot more time coming up with videos to play in the context of the sermon than I did studying actually what the Scripture taught. I don't say that boastfully. I say that with contrition. I say that fearfully, wondering what was taught, wondering what was heard, wondering what the takeaway was sometimes in the various ministries that I led. Was God glorified? Was God honored? Was his word magnified? And I saw my counterparts doing many of the same things. Bringing culture into the church rather than the church moving into the culture. So we will practice cunning. We, to where we would even tamper with God's word so that people would like it. Those who have itching ears that want to be told certain things. Tim and I have been in ministry long enough to where we, we know the buzzwords and we know the things and we know the, the conversations or even questions that will lead us. Not, you know, not that we couldn't. There are some things might not surprise us somebody lose their mind or something that's pretty petty. But we, we know the most often things that's going to set people off. And the question for us is that are we going to walk into it knowing that they're going to be set off? Are we going to tell the truth and try to say it in a manner that's compassionate and kind Gracious and loving, but yet truthful. And he says, listen, don't be like those who would dishonor the Lord by their own tampering with the word of God. And this is exactly where he's coming from right before chapter 3. Toward the end of chapter 2, he's beginning to talk about their ministry and how their ministry is that of uh, a fragrance of death to death and to others a fragrance of life to life. And he says, who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like, verse 17 of chapter 2, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word 
But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. I do not want to be labeled with the peddlers of God's word. Peddlers. Shell game out on the corner. Taking advantage of people. Drawing a crowd so that I feel substantiated in my work and not helping individuals with the gospel. So we refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. I, I, we try to do that very thing here. We're not going to tamper with it. Listen, we didn't write it. And there's more than enough to be able to share. I, at, at work, sometimes people will begin to ask me, what are you preaching this week? And I was like, man, I ain't got to come up with it. It's already been written. I just got to make sure I understand it and explain what it says. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a great place to be. Man, if I understand it to where it, it changes me, now I just got to tell you about what happened. Right? Man, this is, our God's amazing. This is what his word tells us. And so, man, I'm walking through, how do I encourage the body of Christ? And then, I said, man, I stumble across this particular passage. I was really going to teach a lesson on one-off on sanctification. And I was walking through, so this is a portion of sanctification, but... As I was walking through that, man, I, I was looking at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And as I kept reading chapter 4, I was like, do not lose heart. And as I want to encourage the body not to lose heart, man, I'm being encouraged. And I'm seeing the life of the Apostle Paul. And I'm being encouraged and challenged by Paul's ministry. And so I'm like, I don't have to come up with new stuff. I don't have to be cute. Right? I don't have to try to be cultural. The Word of God speaks, and it has been speaking for 2,000 years. I'm not going to improve upon it. So what must I do? By the open statement of the truth. Open book. That's why we encourage you, man. Read ahead. We're about to do Genesis. What did I say? Don't read it. It's too hard for you. Leave that to the professionals. We will, we will hand deliver this thing for you because you can't possibly understand what it says. Don't even try that. You can make a mess of things. No, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're encouraging you. Hey, we're about to start Genesis. Go ahead and start listening to it. Start reading it. Start preparing yourself. Because why? The open statement of the truth. And he can look in. And he can see it. And this is why I just want to take a moment to thank our reformers. By the grace of God. Guys like Martin Luther and Tyndale and Wycliffe and a bunch of others. That allowed us to be able to have this Testament, New Testament and Old Testament in our language. To God be the glory. Not only preserve this word, but I'll have that word translated so that someone like me who doesn't know Greek very well can understand it. And someone like you can just look at it and be able to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, read it in context, read it, read it, read it, read it, and reread it, and be able to understand it because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We should be grateful for the open statement of the truth. And as we just keep sharing the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What does that mean? You keep sharing the truth, right? The conscience, which is in every human being, that alarm system that God puts in all of us, the Word of God, it's, 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 it's been put inside of us, right? It goes off when the Word of God is triggered by the, or the Word of God triggers the conscience. Ultimately, the Word of God's written in our hearts. Ultimately, we begin to trigger that conscience and begin to help us say, and that's true. And so we can commend ourselves to everyone's conscience, knowing that what? Our, cons- our own conscience doesn't condemn us. We may not preach perfectly, 
There might be times that we misspeak, but we're not attempting to by cunning or, or uh, but to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. We're just trying to every week faithfully teach it. And you know what? Over the course of time, we can we just rest in the fact that look, you may not like what you hear, but it wasn't because we said it in a manner that was we said something untrue or we tried to tamper with God's word. You just didn't like what you heard. They didn't like what they heard. And so our consciences are clean. That doesn't mean that we won't ever have a time in our lives where I don't sin. Pastor Tim doesn't sin or you don't sin. But we need to repent of whatever sin that is. Request forgiveness. Be granted forgiveness and we move on. And so then therefore, the alarm goes that was going off, that was sounding, the conscience inside of us is no longer sounding and our conscience is clean again, right? And so... Once again, it's not saying that we're perfect. That as we looked at before, the necessity of purity in ministry, it's not saying that we're perfect, that we're sinless, but it does mean that we're hopefully blameless. And so our responsibility is just know what the Word says and preach it faithfully. Let me try to at least get one more in. It's number five. The reality that salvation is entirely dependent on the work of God. The reality that salvation is entirely dependent on the work of God. So he's just communicated... If, we refuse to practice cunning, tamper with God's word, but by open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience inside of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Simply that. The reality that salvation is entirely dependent on the work of God. I'll do a better job of unpacking next week for sake of time, but let me just share it this way. You know the reason why Pastor Tim and I don't practice cunning or try to tamper with God's words? Because we know it's not dependent upon us to be cute to be relevant, to be cultural. Share it. Share it in truth. Bring clarity to what the Word of God says. Make sense of it as it was in the the book of Nehemiah and with Ezra. They were taught the Word and there was individuals who would, after the Word was preached, help make sense of it. Share with them and teach them what it said. The power lies in the Word. And so for us, we don't have to be cunning because we know it's not us. It's not me. They accuse Paul himself of not being a man of eloquent speech. So many times we're accused that we're boring or we don't say things the way that should be said or we need to be more artsy or we need to uh, have a better staging behind us and, and make it more of an activity and people be able to see it. And the reality is that ultimately that I don't want to tamper with the, the word of God. I'm trying to be cute. I'm trying to be cunning. I want people to see it. Behold it. Preach the gospel. This is what Paul told Timothy at the very end. In season, out season, you should be ready. And if they don't come to faith in Christ, it's not dependent upon you. I would just be very, very honest to be able to say, it was dependent on me to be able to preach in a manner that, that individuals would have to come to faith in Christ, I, I would never sleep. I have to rest in the sovereignty of God. It's a creative Miracle, and I'll explain more about that next week. It's a creative miracle. 
when God creates a new heart. Looking out at this room and to be able to go, I'm responsible for your salvation. Not just watch after your souls and to help guard, but I'm responsible for you coming to faith in Christ. I, I would defect. I would desert the ministry. It would be too much. I have to resign myself and joyfully resign myself to the very work of the sovereignty of God and His role in salvation for the sake of my own four children, much less you and your families and your children. If I could take my heart and give it to them so they could be saved, I'd do it like the Apostle Paul said. Do it. I can't. And so it's God... The light, God who said, verse 6, let the light shine out of darkness. That creative miracle of creation. Right? Utterly dark in despair. And God says, let there be light, which we'll be studying in just a few weeks. Let there be light. Let light. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. We rest in that. And you must rest in that. Because if not, and you believe it is dependent upon you, on any level, other than just simply sharing the truth of the gospel, on any level, you've got to share it in a manner that's that, uh, exactly how they would know it. You've got to learn who they are and make sure it's, you're tying it all together with their background and you understand that they're artsy or they're, they're technical or they're an engineer or whatever. And you've got to kind of morph all this thing like you're a, a master salesman. You'll, you'll begin to then practice cunning and begin to tamper with God's word. You will. You have to resign yourself to the fact that man is utterly incapable and God is sovereign over salvation. I mean, we don't do things like preach the word faithfully, the open statement of the truth we would command to ourselves, to, our, to ourselves, everyone, to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Yes, we do that. But I'm not responsible for individual salvations because I can't. That's the work of God. There's almost five. We didn't quite finish five of the nine things that would hopefully be convictions that would encourage you. And I would encourage you to take that list and begin to look at them. That's more than say grace over for you to begin to look at your life. If you're discouraged on any level, the context of this body, context of this body and its ministry, the context of Ministry of you in the home, context of ministry with you in your marriage, context of you, ministry with you and your children, context of ministry with you and your neighbors, uh, co-workers that you're desiring to see come to faith in Christ. Uh, those five alone will give you enough to say grace over and for you to have lengthy conversations with other church members, uh, with your own family members, uh, our faith family members, and yes, with even Pastor Tim and myself to be able to say, help me with this because I don't want, I don't want to defect. I don't want to lose heart. I want to remain steadfast and faithful to the very end. And these convictions, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will help you to do that very thing, to not lose heart in the context of your ministry, whether here at the body, inside the context of our gathering, or at home or other, other locations. Uh, because if not, you may think it has more to do with you than you should. And that's where we'll be going in the next week. Let's pray together. Follow me. Right? So the same reminder of his call to ministry or his call to Christ himself 
is the same reminder to us. And so as we begin to look at our lives, we ask ourselves one primary question. Whether you're walking in faithfulness or you're, just, you're in disobedience or whatever the reality is, it's this question. The heart of any counseling conversation we should have is going to be this question. Do you love me? Now, where it spins from that, be a variety of things, and we can give instructions from the Word of God. The Bible does give us instruction on how to answer a variety of problems and concerns that you have. The question is, you won't do those things if you don't have at the very core that you love Jesus more than anything and everything else. So the question is, do you love him? And then as you process that, even this week, even today, it should be evidence in, do you love the body of Christ? And is it being manifested, not perfectly, but genuinely, with the one another commands to the body of Christ? Do you sacrifice for the cause of Christ in your time, your talents, your treasures, your gifts, and your abilities? Number three, do you submit to the words of Christ? Do you even want to do the one or the commands? Do you even want to be in the Bible? Do you even want to make sure others know what the Bible actually teaches? Are you willing to share those truths with others and encourage others to follow Christ so they too would need to submit to the words of Christ and preach a gospel that's not popular in our world? Well, that's exactly what the whole purpose of the book is. Instructions are now being left. The word is being left with these fallible fishermen and sinners who have, are saints now, right? Who aren't perfect. I don't have a perfect love. I don't have a perfect faith. But I have a real love. I have a real faith. And the great encouragement is, is that when you see the love of Christ, it should motivate you for the love for Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray you would help me and us You'd help all of us. We would love you more with each passing day as we behold you, we become more like you. And so, Father, I, I know my faith isn't perfect. My love isn't perfect. Selfish and self-centered. I like things my way. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.